The Natural Man podcast is intended as general information for educational purposes only. It should not be construed as medical advice or a diagnosis of any kind, or as a substitute for medical treatment. The information provided in this podcast is not meant to replace the advice of or treatment by any physician. Do not rely upon any information to replace consultations or advice received by qualified health professionals regarding your own specific situation. If you suspect that you have a medical problem, you are urged to seek competent medical help. The Natural Man podcast and its representatives and agents disclaim any liability for any negative or other medical or other outcomes that may occur as a result of acting on or not acting on any information contained in the podcast. The views and opinions expressed by the host and all guests are their own, and their appearance on this podcast and at the website of the Natural Man Podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent, and does not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Natural Man Podcast. This is the Natural Man Podcast. Welcome to it. This is the Natural Man Podcast. I am your host, Mike C. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, This is an exploration into health, wellness, and improving one's vitality. And we do that through sharing research, innovations in wellness and medicine, and talking to top people in the health industry. Um, Today, we're going to have a guest that's been on the show before, and uh, he's awesome. Once him and I start talking... um, we can talk for hours, and uh, he's a guy who's really in the know. He does his homework. Um, he's an acupuncturist based in Scottsdale, Arizona. His name is Robert Kogadal. Robert, thanks for being here again. Thanks, Mike. What's up, Mike C? It's great to see you, man. Um, Thank you. Really glad that you joined us today. Uh, we had an awesome conversation in our previous episode where you joined us, and so I just can't wait to dive in. Um, the, you know, our topic today is the mitochondria and optimizing our mitochondria. And I always knew what the mitochondria was because I remember my 11th grade uh, biology class, but I didn't understand its role and relevance in our overall health. And speaking with you over the years was how I came to know that. I know you um, follow the work of a very prominent neurosurgeon, Dr. Jack Cruz, who's done some amazing work over the years. And, uh, you know, you brought him um, into uh, you, you introduced who he was to me and I started diving into some of that stuff and I've never stopped. And it's really changed the way I look at health, the way I look at wellness, the way I try to optimize my well-being as I age. And uh, I've told you this before, but just what you've shared with me over the years has been an integral part of that. And so I appreciate that. And that's why I'm really glad you're here because nobody can explain this stuff like you. And uh, so I wanted to ask you, um, just starting off, I know your mantra to living well involves light, water, and magnetism. So tell me about that. Expand on that for me. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, The common uh, look that I get when I first introduce this to a patient at our office is a little bit of, um, yeah, I remember that word mitochondria, something about powerhouse or the battery, and um, they remember it like you from uh, 10th grade biology or 11th grade biology. And uh, they're a little bemused maybe in the beginning because you know they're coming for acupuncture and here they're getting a um, mini tutorial on how their mammalian battery works. And as I have spent the last 25 years um, 
evaluating, investigating, um, and trying to be as comprehensive as possible when someone brings in their um, usually quite complicated health challenge. Um, I felt that the tools that I've used um, uh, as a practitioner of the, the medical arts of traditional Chinese medicine, um, whilst they are a powerful tool and the mainstay of what I use in my office daily, in the absence of the patient, um, getting this information to understand how at the level of how their mammalian battery, which is another way of saying their mitochondria works, and the responsibilities that I give to them in order to maintain their health, I found that my treatments were not going to be as effective or long-lasting in the absence of them getting their um, what I call the four wellness inputs correct. So those four wellness inputs, and you left one out. Um, the first one is, is within the realm of what's called circadian biology, that is getting your light cycles correct. And so that one is the first one we call light. The second one is water. And we'll get into some of the nuances and details of these as we go through our conversation. Um, but getting your water or drinking water that is structured um, or spring water or coherent water is the second of the four. Um, the third uh, being that uh, you as a electric uh, being that you make energy is that you need to be tied to or connected to the earth. Um, and we'll get into more details on how the earth is a magnet and um, uh, what that looks like for optimizing your battery. And then fourth is the molecule DHA. And DHA is the fatty acid found um, in um, mostly in fish, but also in other uh, properly raised animals. So yes, the, the key four wellness inputs that are taught at my office as a part of employing the tools and techniques of Chinese medicine is light, water, magnetism, and DHA. And if they want to correct their health concern, if they want to, um, if they're struggling with fertility, they need to correct that, um, uh, I don't know how else to call it, but um, their way of life and how they spend their time um, and get that information correct. And it's been my experience that when someone does that properly, um, really magical and wonderful things, it's not magical, that's not the right word, very scientific things happen uh, that optimize how their batteries, their, um, their mitochondria work to make energy. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. So you've noticed a shift in the results of some of your more difficult patients just by implementing this, this new paradigm of, of medicine. Is that correct? Absolutely. That's correct. Yeah. So um, it became clear to me that um, uh, historical Chinese medicine, your, your, let's say your, your Chinese person from 2000 years ago, um, lived a very different life, had a very different environment uh, than the environment we currently inhabit today. And our environment and the way we live as modern humans is we break every rule of nature. That is, we break every feedback loop and law that governs um, how you set the timing of everything in your body. And that is no small um, uh, thing uh, when you are trying to recover. Um, so let's take a, an example. A uh, 28 to 33-year-old female um, on thyroid medication um, has used off and on anti-anxiety medications and or antidepressants. 
um, struggles with weight, um, mood and depression, uh, doesn't sleep well, um, you take that person and if I just do acupuncture, uh, the results will not be the same as if I spend the extra time, um, and I don't even want to call it effort because it's more like love, um, to help uh, this person understand the origins of where their imbalance began and how they can begin to correct it. That's fascinating. And, you know, you bring up something that just comes to mind. I'm very familiar with this approach because you taught it to me a long time ago. And, and it's put me on a bit of a different journey. And it's been an exciting journey. And I've definitely seen results myself. But it requires a lot of changes. You know, you're talking about dietary changes. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. You're, you're altering your light, your light environment in a pretty profound way. Um, how hard is it for people to get into the groove of this? Do they have to see you a lot of times before they start adopting these things? Because it, from where I stand, it's, you know, it's a whole lifestyle approach. It's getting out in the sun, whereas I never really did that before other than when I was on vacation. Um, talk about that. Is it difficult to get people on board? Um, uh, personally, I'm no longer concerned with the level of difficulty so much as um, I have a direct vision onto um, holding space for them to see them from where they are and their suffering and where they are when they implement these things so that they recover their native health. And native health to me refers that you are blessed, um, however you want to call it, by the universe, by God, um, with... Um, the ability to be creative, um, uh, to sleep well, um, to have good digestion, to have energy, to have good cognition, good memory, um, and that is to make an abundance of energy um, so that your quality of life um, is such that this life is worth living. Um, in the absence of your health, um, uh, it really doesn't matter who you are, how much money you have, where you travel to, if you don't have uh, your health, if you don't have your energy, if you don't have your um, those things in the hierarchy of where they're supposed to be, um, I mean, if you don't want to change, then you're in the wrong place. So I don't, I don't really, I'm not too concerned with any of those things so much as I'm going to give you the information and I'm going to try to um, inspire you. Uh, to recognize that what you're doing is out of relationship to what is demanded of your biology if you want to get well. And it's as simple as that. And most people hear it. Um, sometimes, you know, there's a, there's a lag time um, within which maybe they do not get the results or they don't put it into practice. Um, but ultimately, I'm here to coach and support. And I'll do a bit of hand-holding in the beginning, but ultimately, there's also a cracking of the whip. So... Um, I can do any and all of those. That's great. Um, so what kind of foods best nourish our mitochondria? I know that's only one well, part let's of the many on, let's pillars. Let's go in order of, um, okay. of, the, of the prescription. So food. Sure. Um, first, you have to understand that what we're talking about, and for those of your listeners who are trying to understand, and maybe they, like you and, and others, remember the word mitochondria, um, the way I try to dramatize this that is, I'm trying to get a clear sense for them to understand that what I'm talking about is not some over-their-head biological um, term that they need to have a PhD to understand. 
This is all incredibly intuitive. It's all very straightforward. Um, you don't have to have a PhD or a doctorate or anything to understand this. You just have to be sensible. And so the first, um, and this is just meant to dramatize so that they get the gist of this, is I ask almost every patient, what do we call a body with no energy? So I'll, call, I'll, I'll ask you that question. What do we call a body with no energy? A corpse. A corpse, right? So that is, um, there is no longer an electrical signal. So if you're in the hospital and the doctor says time of death, um, they've been working hard on you to keep you alive, but when there's no longer an electrical signal, you are no longer here. And one way to dramatize that is if you are currently alive and you take um, something called cyanide, um, that means 30 seconds later you are a corpse because that cyanide binds in your mitochondria to the place where you make energy that energy shuts down and 30 seconds later, you're gone. And so this then, um, as a fundamental principle for you understanding that your health is dependent upon the ability of you to acquire energy and then hold a charge in your cells, in your cells, excuse me. And if you can't do that, you will have a disease at some point. You will then begin to lose energy and the loss of that energy will result in what we call a disease state. Okay, so what that tells me is our traditional approach to treating disease um, has possibly been misguided in that, and I've read this and we've talked about this in the past, mitochondrial deficiencies are a primary key to human disease. And that's, that's not how we've been looking at it. You know, when, when the average person goes to the doctor, uh, the doctor's not wondering about their mitochondrial status. Nope. Perhaps they should. Is that correct? That is 100% correct. That is my opinion. And uh, again, these are things where it's not that your doctor doesn't know what mitochondria are. They certainly do. But this information, as it's filtered through um, maybe other areas of studying uh, the science of mitochondria and uh, the real source of where these energy deficiencies begin and then tying it to an understanding of how human disease originates as a result of that loss of energy. Um, that is definitely not in the primary focus of, of your, um, your family doctor um, in which I would say the current model um, does not allow for them to behave in a way that's going to allow them to um, maybe provide this information. Um, maybe it's because they don't know it specifically in this way. Um, right. But yes, misguided would be one way, or just to say that the model um, is inaccurate. And a lot of this is still growing. So it's, it's on some level nobody's fault specifically. Um, unless you want to get conspiratorial and, and imagine that that's being covered up. But um, if, it's, if you're looking for it, it's there. And learning then about what it means to optimize your mitochondria, that begins um, how you become responsible um, ultimately for the return, the recovery of your health and for um, uh, what it means to live a, uh, a healthy uh, life. And I jokingly say to some patients, I say, when you understand this and when you apply it, um, and your sleep improves, your sex life improves, your digestion improves, your cognitive function improves, 
um, all of those things improve and you feel better, that's not still going to save you from an 18 wheeler coming at you. And so, um, uh, or if you, you know, fall off the, the um, Camelback Mountain. Um, therefore, we really um, are blessed to live in the modern world and have all the advanced technologies we do to emergency medicine and all of that. And those are miracle and amazing. Um, and uh, as a personal side note, I just uh, went through uh, my first surgery after um, I gave myself a hernia um, lifting 100-pound uh, door frames that I shouldn't have been doing alone and was, was wow. uh, blessed to have a very skilled physician, um, very kind and um, good, good surgeon who helped me out a lot. And I went from having a, my um, inguinal region, having a golf ball sticking out uh, through my abdominal cavity to him fixing it. And the guy's a badass and it was really um, spectacular. So this is um, nothing as a for or against. Um, this is about sensible medicine and I would say, yes, your average primary care provider is not going to um, instruct their patients in the principles of light, water, magnetism, and DHA. Um, maybe they will at some point, and maybe that's where we're getting to, and it takes knuckleheads like me who um, kind of are outside the box or the convention um, to bring this into a more um, conformed uh, view. Yeah, absolutely. And it takes knuckleheads like me to, to go find you guys and interview you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to, I understand this is a whole lifestyle approach. And I know you've cautioned me in the past not to just see this as a set of dietary regulations, but I want to relate that to this to make it digestible for um, our listenership. Sure. And, and in doing that, I, I want to share first my personal experience. When I met you, um, and you might not remember this because it goes back some years. And I'll say this. I was always on the vegan train. Um, and I have nothing against vegans. I respect veganism. We've had uh, pro-vegan guests on this podcast that uh, have shared some amazing things with us. And so it has its place in the wellness paradigm uh, for some. But I just have to share a personal um, opinion on that. It didn't work for me. I felt like I got sicker when I ate no animal products. I tried to stay away from them. I had a very low meat, low seafood diet, and I wasn't getting better. And when I started to eat more paleo, um, and that is eliminating a lot of grains, eating more proteins with every meal, I found, you know, I'm not a big low-carb guy, but I guess that that's what it boils down to is less carbohydrates, refined carbohydrates, especially. I noticed my digestion improved. I noticed my sleep improved. Um, just my overall gut health improved. Um, my ability to tolerate what I was eating changed, I guess, because I changed what I was eating. So I guess my question is, as far as the, the food pillar, because there's many pillars here and I understand that. And I know you don't want me to look at it through a single lens, and I'm trying not to do that, but I want people to understand this. Um, you know, you tell me, where does that play into this? Like, should we be eating less refined, refined carbohydrates? Do we eat more seafood to get that DHA? I'm throwing a lot of questions at you, but do you know where I'm going with this? Yeah, I'd say for a lot of, um, I don't know, beginners in the search for health, um, food is the kind of obvious target, right? 
and the food wars as they've unfolded um, over the last 20, 30, maybe even longer, 50 years, um, have boiled down to, yeah, what is the appropriate um, nutrition to optimize health? I mean, in a very basic uh, framework. And uh, the only way I can try to simplify it, um, and again, I try to make everything as simple as possible, but not any simpler, is uh, you only have three choices on planet Earth, fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. And when you start to think like a mitochondriac and you think that um, the origins of health, as Robert has uh, said on this podcast, is about maximizing the ability of you to gather energy and hold that charge in your cells. If you cannot do that, you will not be able to make enough energy to keep your nuclear genome stable. And so food then, um, thought in the context of being a mitochondriac, all food is ultimately a barcode for sunlight. And so this is where when you start to think along the lines and for your audience here, um, there's not just one giant mitochondria in you. You have 17 trillion of these tiny little organelles that function as your battery and they are your sixth sense. It's, you could even say your non-conceptual intuitive grasp of reality is that you as a living organism, as a living being experiencing this miracle, when you make lots of energy, you slow time down. And so everyone who is listening to this as a child has had the experience of what it feels like to be an eight-year-old playing outside and how a day goes on seemingly forever. And as we age and as we become more inefficient, that is, as we are losing our 10% of our battery pack of our mitochondrial energy every decade, time speeds up. And so a day for you and me now feels like it goes by a lot faster. Is that correct? Absolutely. And does that play into... And I don't want to stray too far from our topic, but does that play into our perception? Why, as adults, time flies and when we're it's kids? Not a, I'm going to tell you, it's not a perception. It's a feature of the beginnings of inefficiency, that when you are not able to make enough energy, time speeds up. And it's not just a perception so much as the reality of aging. That's a, wow. whole, that's a whole other side note. Um, and, yeah. But if you want to you know, again, get into following blue zones, following centenarians, um, how you make it to 120, um, all of those kinds of things. Ultimately, you begin to see that the epigenetic signals, and that's kind of a fancy way of saying how the environment, light, water, magnetism, and DHA, influences the ability of your mitochondria to make energy, dictates the ability of how you perceive and sense time on planet Earth. Now, that might be a topic for a whole other show, and I'll get back to your question regarding- I, I think so. <laughs> you know, what does that um, then look like in terms of what should human beings eat? And I'll try to simplify it for you in this way. Um, and this is, again, another dramatic way I try to get this point across. At the equator, what foods grow, um, let's say, in Costa Rica? Uh, I don't know, maybe bananas, 
bananas, um, citrus fruits. Yep, bananas, papayas, yeah. all tropical, tropical fruits. fruits. Right? Yeah. And there it's 365 days a year of sunshine, warm tropical areas. So it's as if this perfection of this experience we call being alive is designed into every feature of this universe, such that those foods are inherently cooling. That is, when you live in a warm tropical area, the fruits that grow there are themselves cooling. Now, when you live in the modern world, and let's say that you think it's a good idea to ship lots of papayas and pineapples and mangoes up to Inuit Alaskans in the middle of winter, because they have enough money to go to the grocery store and go get those. And if we evaluated those things nutritionally from the rather simplistic view that um, nutritional science just looks at micronutrients and you think, oh, well, papayas have antioxidants or they have X, Y, or Z thing in them that are good for you. But when you start to think like a mitochondriac and you understand that all food is a barcode for sunlight, the point is to become synchronized to your latitude of where you live for your genetics to optimize the food that is appropriate for you at that given time and that given season. So if you ship papayas and you feed that to Inuit Alaskans, which by the way, Mike, what do they eat in the winter in order to survive up there and reproduce successfully? Fat and protein, I would think. They eat fat. They eat tons. Of, they eat whale blubber, um, uh, seal blubber, fatty fish. And that's because, as we already discussed, there's only three choices. Fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. Fats deliver the highest concentration of free electrons to your mitochondria. They are like a super booster that delivers the highest number of electrons that your mitochondria then take up in order to make energy. Proteins are the next highest concentration, meaning your mitochondria do not read fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. At the level of your battery, your body goes through, you chew the food, it goes through your throat to your stomach, it's broken down by acid, it becomes chyme in the small intestine, and then it goes through all these processes, ultimately being delivered to your mammalian battery in the form of concentrations of free electrons. Grains, um, and all forms of carbohydrates have the least amount of free electrons that are converted into your mitochondria. So they are, the, they are the least efficient food. And so if you are an Inuit Alaskan living in the cold with no sunlight, you can survive up there, but only if you eat massive amounts of fatty acids from the lipids found in those, those, mammali those mammalian foods and seals. Does that make sense? That makes absolute sense. So if you and feed so, that person a papaya, you are going to literally kill them. You are going to short circuit their mitochondria because you are sending them a food that's cooling in the middle of winter, shipped wow. up to them, and they will, first of all, they'll become infertile. It'll take some time and it won't kill them with one papaya, but if they eat it regularly, they'll develop diabetes and they'll get bigger. So if somebody's living in the tundra, and we're not, we're not saying this is medical advice, we're just conversing about this, should they not eat fresh foods during the winter months or those places that stay frozen all year long? Is it never a good idea to eat an apple? It's, um, it's something where you could be, um, you can break nature's rules. Again, this is something that we have this massive brain, um, which allows us to do just that. It's just that in the modern world, that ability to break nature's rules has been amplified to the point where now you are seeing symptomatology. You are seeing, you are seeing sickness. Whereas, um, 
you know, to travel between distant points and to eat a completely different diet out of context to what the season is, is a feature of living in the modern world. And you can do that and still live a quality of life, but if you do it consistently and over time, you will eventually get a disease. That is fascinating. So, just based on what you're saying, so let me understand this and correct me if I'm getting this wrong. Um, fats provide the largest amount of free electrons in the diet. Is that, yep. is that what yep. you said earlier? And again, and that's what you mentioned earlier. We call that ketosis. Okay, right. So we're always told to eat a low-fat diet. That's correct. How, how do we receive that information? What, how do we make sense of this? Well, because um, we are still evolving out of what are very poor information systems in which oversimplified science um, has taken what you could call half-truths. And we get a half-truth, ultimately if you follow that half-truth all the way to the end, it becomes a full lie. And so we are still living out um, the ignorance or the misinformation from a set of dietetic advice that was based on the idea that cholesterol or fat clogs up your arteries and gives you a heart attack. That's just scientific nonsense. Um, and then if you extrapolate that to the food industry that has then taken advantage of that and tried to manipulate all the food to conform to that medical advice, you begin to see the sickest in the richest place on planet Earth, the highest number of sick people. And I don't have to exaggerate on that front, it's just obvious. And so I make my living off of very smart people who are thinking about how do they want to return their health and not be just a statistic in the current medical system. Well, I consider you one of those very smart people because you have such a great way of articulating this and you're a wealth of information. And I, you know I love discussing this stuff with you. Well, I, um, I'm glad to hear that some of that um, is still kind of things you're thinking about or exploring, but that's just one example of trying to give you and your audience a sense that, yeah, so ketosis is the most metabolically efficient way that we deliver energy, free electrons, to the mitochondria, proteins being the next efficient. Um, and again, in this, if you follow this logic, it doesn't mean that you have to eliminate carbohydrates, but you want to eat them seasonally. And when do carbohydrates grow? They grow in the summer when there's lots of sunlight. And so um, effectively, if you want to eat what we call um, like a mitochondriac, you follow the natural seasonal growth of what grows in your area at the latitude you live at, and you follow those seasons so that you can eat your berries and your raspberries in the springtime or in the summer, and you can eat some carbohydrates um, also in the summer and grains and have your nice pizza or whatever. Um, but when you move into cooler, colder climates, um, and when the season changes, you're moving to broths and stews and fatty foods and fat fish and, um, and all of those things. And if you do that, again, you have leeway within your system to adapt to those things. Um, and that gives you free reign on all food sources. Uh, it just means that you can't follow what I would call a scientific religious um, perspective, which says it's veganism or bust, or it's only ketosis, or it's only um, paleolithic. Those are all just words placed on um, a misunderstanding that the game in, in this conversation is about 
optimizing your mammalian battery. And if you right. can do that, um, you will recover your health or you will prevent disease and you will have a better chance of living a quality of life. Right. And, and that's, that makes so much sense. And I'm, I tend to be a, a categorizer myself. Sure. And you catch me in it all the time when we talk. And you're catching me in it now. But we're taught things categorically. And so that's the way I guess I'm programmed. But what you're saying makes sense. We have to break some of those categories because they don't make sense. It's not that veganism is wrong. It's not that paleo is the only way to go. But it's to view it as a paradigm and as a, a, a wider range of information and to grasp what makes sense. There, there's a bit of a rabbit hole that we may not, again, have time for, and we'll just have to kind of uh, take it um, on, on just the basic instruction of it. Um, but effectively, uh, as you kind of delve deeper into understanding those four wellness inputs, light, water, magnetism, and DHA, the prescription is about optimizing for you to, again, acquire energy and be able to hold that charge in your cells. So the first part, let's start at the beginning again, is you have to get your lighting correct. And your, your light that you live under um, directs the timing of how a part of your brain called your suprachiasmatic nucleus, um, it's essentially like the Grand Central Terminal in New York City, um, where if the wrong trains are going at the wrong time on the wrong tracks, we call that chaos. And a person who has a disease, they have chaos in their body. And the synonym for chaos is called inflammation. And you can put labels on that disease called lupus or thyroid disease or um, uh, gout or uh, any number of words. Ultimately, this is a theory. This is a medical position that says all disease originates as a result of a net loss in the ability of your mitochondria to make energy and hold a charge in your cells. And everything that I teach my patients is about how to recover that. And if you don't get your lighting environment correct, if you don't get the right light the way it's designed, that is, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this part isn't dramatic, this is what I tell them. You have to go out into your backyard, put your bare feet in the ground, get as naked as possible in the morning sun without sunscreen or without any covering over your eyes, either glasses or contacts. When you do that, that is how you set the timing in your brain to reduce chaos. Now, I'm using that metaphor, but very specific things happen when you do that. And the number one reason people go to a doctor now is for insomnia. Sleep is the number one reason that people suffer, and that is because they don't understand that if you wake up when it's dark with an alarm and you are looking at your phone first thing in the morning, you are telling your brain that it's high noon when it's five in the morning. That won't kill you, but it will set the clock off, and it will set it off enough that over time, your mitochondria will not be working as well. So if you want to start your day in the most successful ritual you can possibly do, and that is 100% free. There is no payment for this. It is just simply the way that your body operates is you have to go outside, connect your feet to the earth. You have to get your skin in the game with as much skin exposure as you're comfortable with, 
while you're taking in that morning sun. You build melatonin and you build dopamine. When you do that ritual, you will build the two things that are missing in most modern, I don't want to, what's the right word? People suffering, <laughs> I guess. Right. I'll say it. Um, yeah. And dopamine is what makes you feel resilient, um, have good cognitive function, um, enjoy life, be able to be capable of experiencing all the vicissitudes of life from sadness to joy and be capable of, of bringing your creative powers to bear on your experience here. And you build melatonin. And if you are like most obedient idiots in this world who then decide that when it gets dark, what they're going to do is stare at their screen on their Facebook page or watch TV without protecting their eyes, eventually they will become a victim of the system and be going to the doctor for their insomnia because right. they will then be suppressing melatonin. So you have to get your lighting correct and you have to protect your eyes at night. Again, that might be another part for a whole other show, um, but yeah. that's the first principle and we haven't even gotten fat the first one, which is get your <laughs> lighting environment correct. So light, the second one is water, which I know um, we're gonna run out of time in a little bit, but I'm gonna give you um, the summary on that is to the degree you can get high quality um, spring water um, that is coherent, um, just do it. Um, if you can't afford it, get a good filter on your um, uh, water that um, is able to create um, that. And if you Google uh, coherent water and water filters, uh, you will find uh, several examples of that. I make no- Coherent, you're saying? That's an actual that thing? The water is structured. That means that it okay. is um, uh, structured in a way that your cells um, will um, up, uptake um, that water more efficiently. Okay, and so- that's actually a category you can search up. It's not the standard filters that we might buy yeah, correct. at your if big you box it. store. Correct, yeah. Um, uh, coherent water or vortex water um, for okay. a filter. Yep. Um, okay. If, if you're not getting spring water, but if you're crazy like me, then you learn where the local spring is and you actually go collect your own spring water. But again, that's a whole Yes. Lot. That's yeah, that's thing. another episode. And, I, and I, you know I've done that too. <laughs> yep, I did. Well, you're getting these things. Um, the, third yep. in our, the third in our prescription, we've got light, we've got water, we've got magnetism. The earth is a magnet um, between its north and its south poles. Um, it produces a frequency, which was discovered by a man named Dr. Schumann, called Schumann's Resonance. That frequency is 7.86 hertz. Um, you have um, sweat glands on your hands and your feet as another vehicle or another way that you can collect free electrons. And what did we talk about earlier, Mike? The game of health is about winning the energy game. Right. And, and when we don't adopt these principles, we can get low on energy. That's right. And, and low energy is not just some words. Low energy means that your battery is getting, it's not getting enough of what it needs in order to keep you healthy. Right. Have you ever seen a point of no return where somebody, I mean, obviously, if somebody's dealing with an advanced disease um, and they're at the end stage, it can be hard to, you know, rescue themselves. Um, we all have to die of something, unfortunately. So let me, ask, but, let me ask you this, Mike. What do you think is the most common end stage disease? Oh, man. That's probably too profound for me to answer. No, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just say the first word off the top of your head. What disease is it? I I would say cancer. Of course. 
Yes. Yeah. So cancer. There's some it, other horrible ones out there, though, like ALS and. Of, of course. Of, you know. Of course. Yeah. And and again, uh, this is again another um, complicated subject where we believe that all these diseases are different. Um, right. But when you start to think like a mitochondriac and you understand that. I'm going to use a fancy word here, but um, these are non-linear. That is, the reason they look different, and it looks like they have, excuse me, a um, a different etiology because it manifests, you know, as a uh, degradation within your um, T cells and your immune system, or because of how your insulin works, and therefore you have diabetes, or it's autoimmune and it's attacking you, for you have lupus. Um, or all of those things that we put these words on and we imagine that these are different diseases. But again, this is a thesis or a theory that poses that all disease originates as the inability of maintaining a charge in your cells and or losing um, energy at the level of your mitochondria. Because your mitochondria, when they make enough energy, they code for proteins that keep your nuclear genome stable. So the other way for your audience to start to think about this is we have been looking in the wrong place for the last 70 years. The discovery of what we call the nuclear genome um, is really a miracle of modern medicine and it's brilliant, um, yeah. but ultimately they thought that they would be capable of understanding how those chromosomes line up in order to then be able to correct them and therefore correct disease. Do you know how many diseases have been corrected? Uh, not very many. Zero. Yeah. So the answer to the question is that is not where the, where, the, where the party happens. The party happens in your mitochondria. And when you make enough energy to code for proteins that keeps your nuclear genome stable, you then mitigate or minimize the risk of getting a nonlinear disease. Right. And so... What you're basically saying is it's that low battery that manifests into disease. Yep. And that, that looks different for all of us. That's correct. why one person gets this ailment, another person gets that. That's is that correct. correct? That is correct. Yep. Um, so when you start to think like then, then your first goal as um, wanting to protect your health is about getting the light correct and getting your timing correct and protecting your eyes at night delivering high quality water or coherent water to your body as often as you can, grounding your feet to the Earth's magnetic flux for the purpose of um, not being di disconnected from a source of free electrons. And then as we talked about briefly with food, um, eating seasonally and eating locally and knowing who your farmer is and your farmer's market and eating an abundance of the food grown that is local to you in your lighting environment. And if you do that, you are going to drastically mitigate your risks of, of getting a, an illness and or a higher chance of returning yourself to better health if you do um, have some particular illness. That is fascinating. I, I love the way you put that. And I know we're, we're winding down on our time, so I did want to ask you another question and just to get your thoughts on it. And I know that people in the mitochondriac movement um, teach that the mitochondrial density in humans is in the brain and in the heart. And you please correct me if I'm wrong. And in your germline. Um, and in your germline. Ovaries, okay. testes. But it's also okay. in, in muscle cells. It's, in every, it's everywhere in the body, body except red blood cells. 
Okay. Which is a whole um, other topic. Right, but we would have more density in our in in those areas than maybe our our muscle skeletal system, which yes, is why a gorilla is heart, way bigger than me. Correct. In yeah. your heart, in your brain, and in your germline, and that's why in your heart in particular, that's why you don't hear about heart cancer. Right. Right. And I've heard that too. Um, so my question is. Where does exercise play into this? Because I've heard mitochondriacs, not you, but I've heard mitochondriacs say um, that exercise can act as a, uh, a deficit in that they take away the mitochondrial density from our brains and hearts and put it more in our, in our, you know, our, our muscle skeletal system. Um, and that, that's an expense. So what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I think we used to be, um, again, it's always kind of blows the the mind up when paradigms die um yeah. when you when you imagine the thing that you thought was the greatest thing you could do for yourself um was to be a vegan and uh run marathons um, <laughs> yeah and when that turns out um uh to uh not be the best uh even though you it fit with your worldview or your values or um, whatever it was, and it turns out that it didn't lead to better health for you, it's very, very difficult to unwind those knots. So I don't mean to offend anyone, and um, um, but it certainly is, or let's put it this way, Plato said athletes die young. And uh, that was, it's such a dramatic, um, uh, goes against everything we believe about exercise. But yeah. have exercise for joy. Exercise should be for um, moving your body um, appropriately. And what that looks like for every person is going to be different at different stages of life. Mm -hmm. um, and you can think of, yeah, over-exercising, to me, um, definitely is a deficit. Um, um, and under-exercising and, uh, and not moving your body enough is also a problem. So yep. I would say to your question, there's a sweet spot that's dictated by what you like how you feel, how your age is, and what you like to do. And so, yep. so to me, it's a very practical one, is move your body in a way that feels good, ideally you know, outside, connected to the earth, um, a jog on the beach, um, a hike in the mountains, um, um, a bike ride if that's your thing, uh, go play some basketball. I mean, any of those um, are all for the pleasure and the joy of living a full life. Um, but don't think that over-exercising or exercising to the extreme is somehow healthy for you. Yep. I, I second that. Um, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think in our industrialized society that we live in with all this information overload, um, these messages get blurred and we go down these paths where we might not be doing ourselves a favor. It's true. So, it's yeah. true. You're absolutely right. I mean... Um, you have to be very selective and very careful. Um, and whatever I've said, don't even take what I've said as, as the gospel or true. If it resonates with you, then try it out and, and use yourself as the experiment. There's nothing particularly yeah. radical about it. Um, go out in the morning, get your morning sun, and uh, uh, your skin is a solar panel and your eyes are a clock. And set the timing correct. Um, so you build dopamine, you build melatonin, get great sleep. Um, uh, eat locally and seasonally and learn about your farmer and what farms are close to you. 
um, and have great relationships. We didn't even get into the social demands as social beings on having yeah. great friends and people you love and be creative. Um, but being creative ultimately is about um, having enough dopamine for that. And so that's why the first establishment of the four wellness inputs is go out in the morning barefoot, skin in the game, um, uh, take that morning in, send, set your prayers or your say your do your meditation or whatever it is for you um, with your gratitude. And uh, I can't advise a more um, purposeful and great way to start your day um, and if you do that, it's my contention that you'll, if you do have some health concerns, whoever's listening, um, you'll start to feel better. That's awesome. No, I, I, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, that's a mic drop right there. Cause I know we're out of time, but, uh, Robert, this has been fun. You know, I'm in, you know, I'm going to be bugging you to come back on here. Anytime brother, you just holler at me. I'm happy to do it and happy to share this information because I think this isn't just about the, the health of, of either myself or my family or my patients, but this is about building a culture, um, and at least in my community of Scottsdale here, creating a culture that is interested in living the best life possible and being the most creative and beautiful place possible. So I'm all about building that community and building um, uh, places where uh, people are gonna be healthy and happy um, and, uh, and that way we can live uh, and have some fun. Absolutely. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for being here. That will do it for this edition of the Natural Man Podcast. Subscribe to us and, and check out our other episodes. And this is Mike C. Until next time, stay healthy. This has been the Natural Man Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast for more episodes. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at averyrich.com. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.